the Shia LaBeouf Podcast. This is Episode 2, Nymphomaniac, Volumes 1 and 2, from 2013, directed by Lars von Trier. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and this one is the only one that technically, I guess Shia sort of did out of order for his marathon, because he watched 1 and then 2. He didn't watch 2, then 1. Like, he went, even though he's going from new to old, he still did 1, then 2. So, it was in the right chronology, but... Boring detail out of the way. <laughs> this movie was five hours long. No, five and a half. I'm sorry, five and a half hours long. Yep. It's so difficult to get through for so many reasons. Yes, totally agree. Uh, and I would understand why he would watch this in order one, two, because if you watch this two, one, it would make not very much sense. And it's pretty much just one big movie anyway, much like Kill Bill. And it's a tough one. I didn't have a lot of kind of like mixed emotions about this movie. I don't know. It's just, it's graphic. It's intense. Shy is in it. <laughs> and and I was thinking, Joey, like, this is like the kind of movie where I'm glad we're focusing on one actor for most of the podcast, because we could always just sort of rein it back to Shia and talk about where he is in this movie and kind of not really touch upon a lot of the other crazy stuff in detail. Because he's really only in, I would say, maybe an hour of the movie, an hour of the five hours. I guess it's technically two movies, but we're going to, I guess I think for the first simplification reasons, make everything easy, we'll just call it one movie. He's only in it for about probably an hour, but he's arguably the most important character, aside from Joe, the main girl, because Jerome, he plays this guy Jerome, or initially Jay, who is the guy who takes her virginity, and then sort of becomes like the one real love in her life, and stretches from the beginning of the movie all the way to the end, and he pops up really sort of in three different segments, three different times in her life, kind of. It was cool to see that he was such an important character that it wasn't like, you know, Stellan Skarsgård, a.k.a. Stellar Skateboard, uh, who... <laughs> Dr. Selvig. He's not, but he doesn't really do much. Like, he's in the whole movie, and he's there to sort of facilitate the dialogue and the narrative and all that fun stuff, but he doesn't really do much. Like, Shia is, I think, of all the people to focus on in this movie, maybe the most interesting. Yeah, uh, maybe we should just briefly discuss, like, what happens, just to... Sure. So Skarsgård is, like, going out for tea in the middle of the night and comes upon Joe, the main character, beat up in an alleyway and brings her back to his apartment. And as he's nursing her back to health, uh, she's basically telling her life story. And it's about how she's a nymphomaniac. He is, like, a main character, but he's not. He's just, like, this person that she kind of tells the story to. We cut from the story to what she's telling. And, yeah, I would say Shia is probably the most, like, the second most important character in the movie, even though he doesn't have as much screen time. Because, to be quite honest, that that stuff in the bedroom between her and uh, Skarsgård is, like, I could have done without any of that, really. (laughs) You know, like, it kind of seemed a little superfluous and a little more to be, like, um, try and add more importance to the story than what there is by getting that kind of outsider perspective. But, I don't know, I... I didn't really find much life in that in those sequences. I was more drawn drawn to her story of the past and stuff. Their stuff in the apartment, sort of the narrative that bridges everything, that sort of you know connects all these small stories. That's what I have the biggest problem with in this movie. Everything about it feels so contrived. Yes, I understand that. Like that's it doesn't feel organic. It's the problem I have with the storytelling is that it tries so hard to feel organic that it becomes inauthentic. Like, mm. like she like brings up, she's like, oh, that reminds me of a story, and he's like, oh, that's just like fishing. And, like goes on like this whole like fishing metaphor, and it's just like okay. Sure, yeah, that's fine. But you don't need that. And I feel like the only reason that the 
linking things are there is to sort of have like a narrative flow from one story to the next, but at the same time, Tarantino did that with Pulp Fiction, and Tarantino did that with Kill Bill, mm-hmm. and like they don't really line up, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily like like because they have like a chapter start and a chapter end, really. Yeah. The only reason I can sort of see it as like this narrative function is because at the very, very end, sort of the last minute of the movie, where he sort of makes his move, and, like, that works, I think, but I don't know if that justifies basically 40 minutes spent in conversation between the two. Yeah, I actually didn't really buy the ending of that as much. Um, I, I think you hit upon something about, like, authenticity and then the metaphor stuff like her story that she's telling feels very authentic and realistic and is shot mostly that way and then the conversation in the apartment is all metaphor you know she's trying to find a way to relate her story to this guy and he's what like a 70 year old virgin and and in the movie i don't know if you picked up on that so there's no I, i did okay yeah there's like a there's just like all this implausibility about their conversation and stuff and then It also does something I didn't enjoy, which kind of makes her seem like she could be an unreliable narrator, which I didn't really like, because I kind of just, as brutal and turned off I was by her life story, like, I wanted to believe that it actually happened, you know? Yeah, it's her her story, like, however she wants to tell it, like, that's, you know, like, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. it would just be like like she she would bring something up. I think I think this is what you're getting at. But like she would like bring something up. He'd be like, "What? Like that didn't happen, did it?" And she's like, right. "Yeah, did. Like why you why don't you believe me?" Yeah, like I could have done without that. Like I know I'm watching a movie, and I feel like at times he tries to make it seem like he wants you to think you're not watching a movie. But I can never not think that in my head. It just it just felt you know in a five and a half hour movie, it just felt like it felt out of place. To be honest with me, I don't know. I, I understand it's you know it's the narrative device. She's going to tell her story. To, but like I think it it would have been just as good if it ended with him finding her and in the alley. You know what I'm saying? Like we just follow the story. Or you know what else could have been kind of cool? Speaking of Tarantino and how this is broken up into chapters, Out of Order could have been interesting. You know, I think that might have added a little bit of like a break in a way. Yeah. You know, trying to figure out you know when this stuff is happening as opposed to just wondering if you're going to make it through these chapters because of how graphic a lot of this film is, you know? Well, it is a little bit out of order. I mean, it is mostly, I would say like it's 80% in order, but she does sort of flashback. She's like, okay, to understand this part of the story, we need to go back again to when I was a little girl, or, you know, we have to go back a couple years or whatever. So I think that there is a little bit of the breakup there in terms of mixing things up a little bit, but it would have been... I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I agree that it could have, like, a mixing up could have worked. I think it works... I think the way that it's laid out, it works as well as it can. I don't know how well the movie works on a whole, but I think that given the story that he wants to tell and really, like, the breadth and the depth and the scope of it all, I think that what Lars von Trier puts on screen sort of works as well as it can. Yeah, I'll say this about Lars von Trier. I may not quite enjoy his movies, but the guy can make a movie. You know, he's a, right. I, could, I think he's a really great director. I mean, I've only seen two of his films. I've seen this, and then I've seen Melancholia, which, which I really liked and is way, way less brutal than any of his other work, I'm told. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Validated. It, but that's the, that's the thing. Like, I would love to see him do... I don't want to say a normal movie, but I would like to see him out of his own wheelhouse, you know, maybe put 
like his depression series behind him and try and do something a little more mainstream? If, is that a sin to kind of say? I mean, he is one of the most art house directors that is kind yeah. of in the mainstream. I don't know. It's just frustrating because I could tell like he's a great director and I just I just don't like his movies. I mean, there is something to be said that even though this is five and a half hours long, it really, really pushes the limits of like how long you can pay attention. And I know that we both broke it up over two days that we didn't watch five and a half hours straight. Oh, there there um, is something... Actually... Did, I watched wa- it all in one day? I, I had to watch it all in one day. Oh yeah, my God. I, only, I only had time this week to do that. Well... I, wa- I broke it up over two days, so I sort of had a little bit of a reprieve there, but there is something to be said about how, even though it's like this really, I don't want to say like it's a chore to get through, it's just like, a, it's, it takes a lot of effort, but like, mm-hmm. you never really look away unless there's something that like, you, he wants to make you look away. Like, this is a movie with two abortion scenes, and the first one, by comparison, is relatively tame. Uh, the second one is unbelievably graphic, and the second one when they screen this, I believe it was at Cannes, it might have been somewhere else, oh, is in Denmark, when they, when they screened the complete version in Denmark, three men in the audience had to be removed after they fainted during that scene. Mm. So, I mean, like, uh, unless it seems like that where he's just, like, basically daring you to watch the screen, yeah. like, it, it, it keeps your attention, which is really, really, I think, a high compliment given how difficult this is to sort of get through. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's kind of this endurance test, and it it almost tested me and my limits of film watching. You know, I was like, at first, I was like, okay, this almost feels like an assignment. I really don't want to watch this movie, but we're doing all of Shia's movies. I got to watch this. Halfway through, when I was like, okay, this is a good movie, but it's just not kind of my tastes. I don't like what's really going on here. But it, I'm going to, maybe I'm going to sound like a contradiction, but it, it is engaging and I didn't turn it off. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I had to force myself through it in any weird way. I just kept with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just kept with it to see where it was going because there is, you know, if you get through part one, you definitely want to see where part two goes and you're trying to figure out how did she end up in the alley and there's, there's answers that you want and I feel like if you've got the stomach for it, you should get through what you started and um, that abortion <laughs> scene comes in the second movie and <laughs> yep. and there's a lot of just like you know what I think it is about that it's just like all of the sex stuff like they show a lot of dick they show a lot of vagina you know and they that, Von Trier is just very basic about it he's like this is what it is you know like society has made you turn away it's not right. me you know he's like I'm trying to make you turn back and see and there's nothing sacred about sexuality in this film and there should there be shouldn't there be well maybe but the point of this film is like don't be embarrassed like look at this stuff like I, you know what I'm saying I almost felt like he was trying to recondition me in a way of how I thought and watched movies about sex and sexuality <laughs> so okay so I think that the important thing that we haven't brought up yet in this podcast is that there is so much graphic full penetration sex in this movie it's like porno level it's Un- like unmatched I mean, <laughs> in any other main like this is not this is a mainstream movie but unmatched by any other movie that you know I own on Blu-ray you know like it's yeah. it's insane how much it is and th- apparently it wasn't really the actors it was digital compositions of pornographic actors onto the film actors' bodies okay but at the same time you know I think we're seeing all these actors naked I mean like it took you know we were always talking about how like Cage was always shirtless but like here. Shy is just fully naked, like, several times. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't know... 
I don't know the extent to which they replaced stuff. Well, I feel like that's kind of the point is there's, you know, you put something out there like some of it's real, some of it's fake, and you watch it and just, I just kind of assumed it was all real to a certain level, like yeah. prosthetics, maybe stuff like that, but it's not done in a way you would assume trickery on any certain shot or anything, you know, like I didn't, none of it comes across as unreal which is jarring. <laughs> but, like, what's what's crazy about the way that, like... And I think he sort of, like, breaks you down because there's so much of this is that at one point I needed to do something, so I paused the, paused the screen, and just on my TV for, like, five minutes was the scene where she's with the two black guys. And it's just, <laughs> yeah, like... the DP scene. Full, yeah, the, the, the DP scene. And, like, full graphic. Like, they're both in her. And it's just paused on my TV, and I looked up, and I just started... I had to, like, laugh, just because I was just like, like, what other movie do I own where this is... None. And the answer is none. And the answer is I will never own another movie like this. But, like, it just sort of feels like, oh, like, that's something that, like, belongs on screen. Like, it just... I don't know. It's just the way that he makes everything sort of... Like, it's not like it's comfortable to watch, but he makes it as comfortable as it could be, sort of. Yeah, I think I agree what you say about, like, breaking you down throughout the film, because it gets more and more sexually intense, like, as it goes along. We should probably just start talking about Shia's character, this guy Jerome, but before we do that, uh, there's two notes about Shia in the role. Apparently Liam Hemsworth, mm. a.k.a. Gale, turned down that part. Shia was asked to send in pictures of his penis to obtain the role, hmm. but instead of doing that, he just mailed sex tapes of him and his girlfriend having sex to oh. Lars von Trier, <laughs> I and I guess that worked. I remember that story coming out. Okay, all right. That's that's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. That's Is that going into more of, like, is this his method stage of acting now that he's done with his Transformers obligations? Like, he's going to send sex tapes to audition for this, he's going to remove a tooth and become religious to play the chaplain in Fury after this? I have have no idea. I mean, he's in American Honey, which we talked about a little bit last time, so I want to know what he's doing with that. He was almost in War Dogs. That was a news story that just came out today the day we're recording it. So I'm really having a hard time... Going backwards is going to be interesting, I think, but I'm having a hard time really pinning down where this, like, crazy level of dedication comes to these movies, when it began, and from now on into the future, now that we know that he's at this level, if he's going to continue doing that. Yeah, yeah, it makes you wonder. I I, I wonder if there's, like, a turning point, or if he was always just throwing himself into the role, and it depends now on the film. Like, he's just making more interesting choices, you know, he's, he's... kind of straying from the mainstream stuff now that he's got his blockbuster money uh, it could afford him to come do stuff like this I mean what's what's weird is that like in the scope of this podcast in like two or three weeks we're going to be talking about him in like the Even Stevens movie and Holes and like these like <laughs> like he, where he's literally just a kid in a kid's movie like nothing beyond that you know what I mean yeah. and here it's like you don't get further from that. I mean, you, you sort of hear about, like, Disney stars. I think it's it, it's it's a commentary on our society. Like, it's always about, like, the, the, the female Disney stars who sort of, like, you know, like Spring Breakers or whatever, you know what I mean? Right. But, about how they, like, go bad. But here, he's sort of doing the same thing, and, like, it's, like, a different... I don't know, I feel like it's a different kind of reception, maybe because he's a guy? I don't know. It's strange. I mean, I haven't necessarily thought of all of it as a positive thing for him, you know? Like, he's gotten a lot of crap for you know, going this route, I feel, and, uh, you know, people are like, oh, he's not, like, a real actor. I mean, you get just get, you just get pigeonholed like that for being in too many mainstream films, like Eagle Eye and stuff. I mean, those, those are just kind of cookie cutter. So what's strange about it is he seems like the same actor, but he kind of doesn't, you know? Like, it almost seems like he, 
it feels like he went into a cocoon and came out as like <laughs> this other person in a weird way and I don't know. I feel like with this movie and with Fury, he's got the chops. Like, I feel like his chops are there for him to actually... I don't want this to happen, but I'm just saying, if they were doing, like, an Ocean's, you know, 14, I mean, Shia LaBeouf, like, hanging with Clooney <laughs> and Brad Pitt, I could see that, you know? I mean, especially since Fury, but I could see him being asked to, like, join these bigger ensembles that'll really raise him up to A-plus a status and stuff like that. Because, like, it is sort of, in a way... And I think the, these two movies, the first two movies that we've done, have really highlighted this, but he's sort of, like, just a tremendous character actor in, like, both definitions of the word, like, in the small part role, and also in, like, the, sort of, like, a chameleon could play anything. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know that he's necessarily leading man potential. Like, I don't know if he's, like, I mean, we'll get to, like, the Transformers movies and iRobot, or, I mean, he's not the lead in iRobot, but we'll, we'll get to the Transformers movies, we'll get to Eagle Eye, we'll get to Disturbia, where he's, like, supposed to be, you know, this leading guy, and we'll see how he does. But, like, I'd rather have him in an ensemble movie, whether it maybe is a star like Brad Pitt, or maybe there's like a central focus like Charlotte Gainsbourg in this movie, have him be like a really interesting character, shows up like, like you know, like Cage in some of his like early to mid films, where he's like the bad, you know what I mean? Like, I, mm-hmm. he's the bad guy, he just shows up, he's on screen for 45 minutes, and like, indisputably the best part of all those movies, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. like, this, that's the kind of thing that I want him to do, and I feel like that might be what he's trying to do, that he's taking bigger chances and taking bigger risks and doing these movies that, like, he doesn't necessarily... Like, I'm sure that he's set financially for life, so, you know, if he wants to be this guy who just does, like, really daring things and just, you know, has, like, these, like, create like, works with, like, all the crazy art house directors, like, cool, like, that's exciting. Yeah, and I think Von Trier is a good match for him because he's used American stars before in his foreign films, and Uma Thurman's in this for a hot second, Kirsten Dunst is in Melancholia, and you got Willem Dafoe's in a lot of his movies. Um, So this... Including this one. Yeah, including this one for a minute. So I feel like this was also a good match for him directorially, and I feel like he does a good job in this movie. Now, I'm going to bring up something that caught me completely off guard. His accent... You know, yeah. this movie takes place in England, I think. Yeah. I wasn't sure. I, they, they I honestly don't know. It's somewhere It's somewhere Western Europe. Mm-hmm. Shia's got an accent. At first, I was like, "What? what is that? You know, like, what's going on? What's he trying to do? Don't tell me he's going to do this the whole movie. And then he kind of disappears for an hour, and when he shows back right. up, I don't really even notice the accent. I'm more into him on screen as a presence and as a character showing back up again in the story and stuff that I even bought his accent by the end of this movie. What's weird about a movie that's five and a half hours long is you can have a guy like Shia show up half an hour, 45 minutes into this movie as his pivotal character, this guy who basically just had a moped and was sort of this cool older kid in town, and she went to have him take her virginity, and he does. He does the three thrusts and then the five thrusts, and he's done. That's a huge... Those are huge numbers in this movie, I guess, because, you know, they show him on screen a couple times. And then, like, because it's five and a half hours of story, he's able to disappear for an hour, an hour and a half. And then I was like... Like, I knew... I knew in my brain that it was Shia with the moped. But then when he was gone for so long, I was like, wait, was that not Shia? Because then he shows up again as her boss, I was just like, oh, okay, like, quote-unquote normal movies, like, movies that are, like, two hours long, like, I don't think, you're not afforded the luxury of having, like, this, like, sweeping, lifelong narrative. I mean, it even gets to the point where the final time we see his character, he's not even the actor anymore. Like, it's an Mm -hmm. older guy sort of playing, like, an adult Shia that we saw, like, for Cage Club, we saw a couple times young Cage, but we never saw 
older Cage. Like we never saw Cage in the future. Like you, you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. just, this is something like I, I don't really you know I, I don't I don't know how many times I've seen Charlotte Gainsbourg plays her character sort of the back third of the movie, but the first two thirds like there's a younger actress. And then an actress who sort of plays the range of like I don't know what would you say like fourteen to thirty kind of yeah it's it's weird and like I guess I'm sort of straying from your your point about the the, the accent but like it is like there there's so much that this movie does that to see him like sort of focus on his accent and focus on like these little like character eccentricities early on in his first appearance that by the time he comes back around we're so into the movie that we're just like we don't really care that it's Shia anymore we're just like okay what's Joe doing in this situation like how is she going to you know what is this going to mean for her life yeah one thing I really like about this movie and about Von Trier is um, the way he treats like casting um, his characters because to him they're just the character you know multiple people can play this person in their lifetime and they don't even have to look very much like right. their previous version what he does with Shia though is pretty much uses him throughout the entire movie you know spans like four decades of his character and, and we, like you say for uh, the Joe character we get like four or five girls playing her but for Shia we get basically him and this other guy for like three minutes at the very very end and it's very strange because you know old age makeup is it just goes back to like the first year of movie making (laughs) it's like usually you cast a different person to play the younger you but you put the main actor for that character in old age makeup this is definitely the first time i in, in a very you know recent memory that i could recall them recasting older like that uh and, and it's it's fine though because to me yeah. to me like you say when he shows back up he's not really shy he's just the character he's jerome you know right. and then i like that about this movie and i was able to buy into that what was weird what was sort of the most i mean this is this is an exaggeration considering the, the content of this movie but i was gonna say what was the most jarring thing about it or like one of the first jarring things was how young he looks yes because we just saw him in fury and he is, he probably looks older than he might ever in his life. You know what I mean? Just because, like, with, like, just war, like, grizzled from war, yeah. with that, like, old-timey, like, old man mustache, and, you know, missing teeth and scars on his face, and just, like, he just looks like he's, like, he's just seen some shit. But he, here, you know, the first time we see him, he's, like, clean-shaven, and he's, you know, playing a boy who's, like, 17 or 18, and he's just, they do a good job of, like, the way that, like, they have his hair and his face and his clothes that, like, He's super, he's like shockingly young, and I was just yeah. like, oh. And then when he shows up again for sort of the main part of the movie, which spans I don't know what would you say like five or ten years probably of like them at work, and then when they sort of well, I know because I guess he he comes back later. Like it spans a while, <laughs> but like he sort of looks more like him. But like we were saying, it's like okay, like cool. We already know it's shy. Like let's just see like what Jerome's up to. And then you know he has the whole thing where he's his where he's her boss, and then he leaves again for another like forty five minutes. Like it just there's <laughs> there, like this movie does so many things with just like telling story and just like yanking him out. And I think it's interesting to watch it just focusing on the one character because there's just so much that happens between his scenes that really the only constant in this movie is Joe, and everything else aside from her, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not... Like, they're not forcing him to be in the movie because he's sort of the second lead. Like, he's just not in her life, so he's not going to be around. So I just thought of a really, like pretentious theory about this okay. all if I may and like believe me I don't feel that great for coming up with this but it just popped into my head Joe is telling this story right and she yeah. 
and he is her first time, and basically she's been in love with him ever since that time, right? Right. right. And the only time Shia isn't playing Jerome is at the very end when Jerome sees her and beats the shit out of her, and he looks different. So she's just remembering him that way. You know what I'm saying? That's why he hasn't switched character. So, (laughs) or or like alternatively, in the same sort of theory, is that like she almost doesn't recognize this man because he treats her so differently. Yes, yes. So it's either like like yeah, it just all I like that. I like that. But also, like, I guess in that regard... No, I mean, I don't know. I would almost say that, like, when Stellan Skarsgård comes back into the room at the end, after he's like, I'll make sure you're not disturbed, and then he basically comes in to try to have sex with her at the very, very end. If that was true, and if you want to sort of be... But that's sort of more obvious. Like, you could have him, like, look different. You know what I mean? Like, he sort of comes back as, like, a, a monster. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But I don't know. I, I don't guess know. that's also... Just, just that's throwing also, it out there. <laughs> no, I like that. I'm just trying to see if that, like, that would sort of apply anywhere else in the story. But no, I like, um, I like that a lot. I think the only other man in her life that really meant anything to her was her father, played by Christian Slater. Hey, good to see Christian Slater, be, you know, believe it or not. I was, wind talkers got his head chopped off. Got it sewed back on for yeah. this. Um, yeah. and, and he looks the same, too. And, I mean, I didn't think of any of this watching the movie. I was just like, oh, it's Christian Slater. But he doesn't really appear to age, although he's only, he kind of dies when she's, um, like, in her 20s or something. So right. he doesn't really have a chance to age too much on screen. But I don't know. That was the only other thing I'd reach for is, like, well, he never really changed in appearance. But most of the other people in her life were recast <laughs> to look different. Like, the Christian Slater stuff, like, ah, there's, like, entire chunks of this movie that, like, I don't really get behind that sort of feels like a little bit of, like, a, a distraction, kind of. But it also, like, by the... Like, it's weird. Like, I don't like this movie, I don't think. But I, I don't... It's a good like, movie, it, it, though. That's the but issue, right? it wins right? me over, yeah. <sighs> like, I don't like it either, and I don't really like <laughs> that I like it at times. And, you know, at the beginning of this, we were really down on it. And, like, by the end of this, it's going to sound like we're praising it, but don't... I don't want you to feel that way. <laughs> Because, like, there's, like, the whole... It's, like, half an hour. Actually, I don't know. Like, when I use these times, like, I don't know. Everything feels so long. Like, it's just, like... Because really only... There's eight chapters that span five and a half hours. And the first two and a half hours of the movie, the first Nymphomaniac Volume 1, is five chapters. They're, like, five shorter chapters. And then the second movie is three longer chapters. Yeah. And so one of the chapters in the first one, like, so probably about half an hour, is... Christian Slater dying in the hospital. By then, I was just like, this isn't really about her, and this is, you know, like, I understand, like, it's going to become about her, but, like, I was like, this is, it sort of feels like we're straying, but then by the end of it, the way that they weave it back into the narrative and the way it becomes, like, her sort of dealing with grief, that works. And then, like, later in the movie, in the second part, one of the longer sections is when she becomes sort of that, like, I don't know, like, debt collector for, like, the mafia, basically. And I'm just like, this doesn't feel like it has anything to do with it either, but, like, it's also just, like, a natural extension of her character. It's really not about her and sex addiction. It's really just about her, and most of her life is about sex addiction. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's in, like, I think it depends on how you want to think about it. Like, things feel like they're out of place, but, like, everything works. Some of my favorite stuff was the uh, Christian Slater stuff, actually, just because it was, like, this respite from, like, this nihilistic sexual stuff that was also going on in the film. There's just something about the way, especially the hospital sequence was shot, I really liked. I don't know what it was that I could put my finger on. I don't know if you caught that he shoots every chapter in a different type of film. Like, um, yeah, like, each chapter is shot with, like, a different film stock, 
or some or he does something to it to make it look separate in some way aspect ratio or something and the that hospital sequence was all black and white i just felt like the most sincere part of it to me it felt like the part where he wasn't struggling to make a point it just you know it just felt like the most easy going it's weird i know it sounds strange <laughs> to like say that watching christian slater die with dementia and her this painfully like painfully all yeah i mean it's strange to say like that's my favorite part of the movie but there's just something like incredibly well done about all that with like the dignity that he shot it with and everything i don't know that got the emotional response out of me not like the rest of the stuff the rest of the stuff was just like way too shocking i think my favorite scene in the movie i don't know what my favorite chapter was I think my favorite scene. I don't even know how to describe it because I don't really want to. I don't want to describe it, but it's when they're at the restaurant and oh. Shia offers her five dollars uh, yeah. to put the spoon, and then she just grabs all the spoons. Tonally, it's just so different from everything else that like. And I guess that's sort of the point, right? It's the it's this one positive moment that she has with Shia because so much of their relationship is like bad or sour or negative in one way or another, and like this is a pleasant, positive memory, and it's just like a three-minute scene, but it's, like, the only... or one of the only, like, funny scenes in the yes. movie. It works beautifully. I mean, another one of the funny scenes is that double penetration scene, because, like, she, like, she basically just becomes a background character in her own story, and just, like, alright, like, I'm gonna get out of here. Like, there's like, these little <laughs> moments of levity surrounded by, like, intensity, either in, like, graphicness or just horrible events in her life, and I just think these, like... Like three minutes every two hours that like make you laugh and just like all right okay I'm I'm okay for a little bit more yeah I could have uh, used a few more of those <laughs> you know it would if her dad wasn't like a doctor that loved trees it would have been great if he told her jokes instead you know so chapter two is Jerome and that's where we really like we we meet Shia's character for the first time in chapter one but then chapter two is all about him and like the, I'm like okay cool like we're gonna get Shia and like the first thing we see is her having sex with a bunch of dudes that aren't Shia and I was just like oh okay like that's interesting but then we find out that he is gonna be her boss like she applies to be a secretary and she has no skills and then the girl is just like oh so like you think that you don't need skills to be a secretary and she's like I guess not and then she gets the job anyway but my favorite like another one of my favorite parts and I, th- I think I don't think it's just because it's Shia because we're watching for Shia when they're just like walking around he's really just belittling that blonde secretary who he eventually runs off with right and Liz just good like, job good, good job, job Liz yeah good, good job, job Liz, Liz. Like, that's like, her full name good, good job good job Liz and he's like that's her full name good job Liz <laughs> But then, you know, he leaves with her, and they're sort of together for a while while, you know, Joe is trying to get her life together. What I liked about that stuff is that um, I, I loved all, like, the um, casualness of, like, he was happy to see her again, and, like, you remember me. He, he's like, I never forgot you, and it's kind of great that his character is smitten with her as well, especially because of, like, how kind of brutal their first time was. Right. You know, like, it was, what, like, three times in the front, five times in the back, and that was that, yep. and just, like, it. No, um, and no pleasure for anybody I don't think yeah yeah and so it's kind of just like um, it's one of those funnier moments when they see each other again and there's this attraction I don't know what it is for Joe maybe it's I mean I don't know what it is for Shia but I, I believe it's for Joe it's like getting back to her roots in a way like this is my first time like this is gonna be kind of an interesting thing uh, maybe the only guy I'll ever screw twice in my life what I also liked is that um, 
Jerome tries to like put the moves on her and she's not down whatsoever. Right. And it becomes like this kind of sexual tension between them, like sexual for her to sort of lead him on in a way and to like irritate him. I don't know. I just like the back and forth that they had. They have good chemistry. That's what it is, I think. Like it, and it comes out definitely in this that the girl at this time playing Joe and Shia are really like bouncing off each other. And what's weird about this part in the movie and the story is that they're almost more like a married couple before they're married. Yeah. And when they're actually married, like they have like these like weird sort of awkward tense moments, and there's like these like weird sort of flirty moments, and you know, and they're not having sex, she, right? Like a married yeah. couple. <laughs> he's into her, and she's not reciprocating. And then, as soon as she's like, "Oh no!" Like I'm actually in love with him, and she writes him the letter, then he's just gone. And so it's like this. It's sort of like a you know like Craigslist misconnection. We're just like, oh, like is she ever going to get back with the love of her life? And then it takes you know another half an hour, an hour of the movie for him to come back but like it sort of devastates her and sort of sends her spiraling down yeah I equated it to sort of like just about the climax and then like getting a phone call or something and interrupted and not being able to reach it and she's just about to embrace love for the first time and you know she's not herself she wrote this letter she's like a giddy little schoolgirl in her mind and this is just not who she is you know and then suddenly like right at the moment where she's ready to accept herself as that person like he's gone you know and like she has to tumble all the way back down that hill for the next part of the movie. But then he shows up sort of triumphantly at the end of the first part. She tells him to fill all of her holes and they have sort <laughs> of a... I was I was thinking like while I was watching this, I was like, are we going to call this like compromising or sipping Miss McGill's tea or just like, no, like it's just shy of having sex. Like there's nothing like, you really can't dumb down or sort of like PG this this discussion because it's just like the things that they say and like the things that they do is just like like you can't tame it down. It's sort of I guess the ultimate irony that you know he comes back and they're ready to have a relationship and then sort of all of her years of sleeping around have destroyed her body kind of and she can't feel anything like she has no sexual pleasure anymore and that's the end of part one that like you know her nymphomania has ruined her life. Because now that she's finally ready to, ready to settle down, the thing that she loves most with the person she wants she with the person she loves the most, it just can't happen. Yeah, and that was that was kind of like um, a huge cliffhanger, believe it or not. Like at the end of part one, I was like, oh, that's intriguing. <laughs> um, yeah, and I don't know what it is. Is it like she finally got what she wants, and she's like psychologically like punishing herself for it, or or has she really lost all sensation, or, or what is it? It's a very interesting turn that I wasn't expecting and I would say if part one is about pleasure uh, part two is much about pain and her trying to just feel anything emotionally and physically and you know trying to regain that what the movie does or I think I think I think it's Lars von Schier sort of like winking at us a little bit because Stellan Skarsgård when he hears about this and about how she can't feel anything and like this is sort of the most pivotal time in her life he's like oh it's just like Zeno's paradox you are Achilles and the tortoise is the orgasm and about how like you'll never catch up and pass and then I was just like oh this is like the most pretentious metaphor and then Joe like calls him out she's like that's stupid like what like what are you talking about and I feel like that's kind of Lars von Trier saying like we get that Stalin Skarsgård's a little bit pretentious and I don't really like him either but like (laughs) he's just he's just here to sort of move things along but like we get that he's sort of like you know an object you know what I mean yeah that stuff really starts to feel kind of um 
comical in the second volume because like she constantly starts calling him out and she's and that's when he's like oh there's too many coincidences and there's nothing in my room for you to like relate your story towards me about because I can't understand what you're talking about it's like they're looking around the room and she she sees like a painting and she's like oh I'll relate my story to you as yeah. this it's that painting and then there's like music playing and she's like oh I'll relate my sex life to you as if it was that music and it's just like I couldn't really put up with it after a point because like you said like the character like the movie calls itself out there's one amazing moment actually a, that kind of relates to this and I think you it might might actually prove you're right is um right before the mirror chapter I think it is or something like there's a shot of a mirror on the wall and you can see the film crew in it yeah. <laughs> and it's clearly intentional you know and it's yeah. clearly breaking the fourth wall and I almost thought it was like is that Von Trier wondering if I'm still watching <laughs> Because it's in there to break the fourth wall. You know what I'm oh, yeah, saying? Like, I was so thrown off by that. Because you see, like it's it's not like you catch the camera in the corner of the mirror. The camera is the entirety of the mirror. Like it's yeah. just like here's the basically here's the cameraman, and then like <laughs> two shots later, we just see Joe in the mirror, and like there's no like we're sort of back to a movie. Yeah. But it's like yeah, it's it's basically exactly what you said. Like hey, you're still paying attention, right? Like we you didn't fall asleep, right? And again, I don't want to say this movie ever wins me over, but I think it's moments like this that prove it's a good film because it's good at making its point even if it becomes redundant to a degree by the end of five and a half hours it's like i think this could have been cut down to you know two and a half hours and still have been a really good movie and proved its point but it's just like excess upon excess and as much as it works and as much as he's good at it it just becomes you know too much and too repetitive and it's like we get it i think we get it yeah i mean i think I'm glad that this movie exists in the form that it exists. I'm glad that we've seen it. I'm glad that we're done talking about it, basically. I don't really know where in this sequence it would sort of come, because like, I feel like if it came in the middle, it would just be like this like unbearable hurdle to get over. I feel like up front, when we still have a lot of energy about Shia, I think it's a good time to have it. I like that it's a five-and-a-half-hour cut. I like that if you want, you can watch the theatrical cuts, even though I don't know how many theaters, like, theatrical cut, like, I mean, they're each, so basically, I think the theatrical theatrical cuts are, like, two hours each, so the director's cut adds half an hour to the first part, and adds an hour to the second part, so it is sort of condensed, you can see it, I don't remember what the differences are, to be honest, I remembered most of this, but, like, the things I didn't remember, I wasn't sure if it was new or just things I forgot, like, but all, I remember, like, the most graphic stuff, I think, is all in the theatrical cut as well. I guess sort of for for our purposes, for Shia purposes, you know, the film is a little bit overlong because even though he's in this back half of this movie, you know, the function of his character here is to sort of become distant from Joe. He sort of gets tired of having sex with her, not like because he's less attractive, but just like, you know, it's like a full-time job satiating this nymphomaniac and he's like, I need you, like, we have a dog now, basically, like, you need to feed, or no, we have a tiger, right? He's like, you need to feed the tiger. Like, go around and sleep around with other men and he just sort of, like, falls into the background and then when she sort of goes a little bit overboard, he's like, I've had enough, and he leaves. The whole back half of the movie, you know, he's still really important, but it's not really about him anymore. Like, it's about her and, yeah. you know, her struggles and her addictions and stuff. Yeah, her focus is away from him, and therefore the movie's focus is away from him. And he's really only in it the bare necessity. She really starts getting into S&M and bondage yep. and starts going to see this 
you know, guy that whips her, but he can only see her, like, in the really early hours of the morning, like in the a.m. Yeah, the, hours. She starts to go see The Thing from Fantastic Four. Oh, is that who? Oh, the, oh Jamie oh, Bell. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Unrecognizable <laughs> as The Thing. He's good in this, too. Like, he, he's intense and scary and also kind of, like, I trust him in a weird way. I don't know. I don't want to get into his whole thing. But basically, she ends up leaving their son alone right. all night with long. A, with the door open. With the door open, yeah, and it's snowing, and they live in an apartment building way up high, so, you know, not a good combination of things. And then Shia comes home from a business trip early and sees the kid, like, about to fall off the balcony. He's like, it's either us or nothing. Like, if you keep going out, if you go out tonight to do your S&M stuff, well, like, that's it. It's, it's Christmas, right? And he's just like, if you leave oh, that's today, right. oh, we've... <laughs> if you leave today, you're never going to see us again. And she's like, okay, I get it. And then she leaves anyway. And it's just like, oh, okay. I don't think she really wants to go. Like, it's not like she's doing it to defy Shia. She just, you know, she's sick and she she has to go. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that, too. I think it's just, like, compulsory for her. Like, uh, she can't help herself. And I almost wondered if Shia would even be with her if they hadn't had that kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, he almost seems like at that point, like... I'm going to be the good man or something like I'm going to be the responsible guy and you know we have a kid now so I'm going to try and make it work and she just seems to have like no interest in like being a family whatsoever I'm honestly surprised and I guess that's sort of the point like they don't really need justification but like she gets pregnant twice in this movie she has the one kid and she she gives herself the abortion which we didn't I don't think we said but she gives herself the abortion yeah I knew that I knew you know I just knew like from the first when she's in med school in the first half and she's learning the abortion I knew that it, that it was coming like I hadn't heard about it but I just <laughs> knew it had to come back but I didn't think it was gonna I just thought she was gonna have an abortion I did not think she'd give herself one well she she tries to get one and then that woman's like do you love the father and I like I would be like it's the same as I don't know if I would go as far as her and be like you know do it to myself but she's just like why do you need to know all this like it's my choice what's gonna help me get this abortion like if I love the father if I don't love the father if I don't know who the father is because I have sex with lots of men and the woman just like I don't know how to re- like she just doesn't talk and she- Joe leaves but like what's uh, what I was saying was that it's just weird how like she's got this one central drive this one central focus in her life which is sex and sort of empty sex really and yet she gets pregnant twice because she like gets lazy with her birth control like it just sort of seems like a plot device you know it's it's like there's no way that someone who is having sex with maybe 10 guys a day at different points in this movie is ever going to sort of forget to do the one thing that like could really like mess up her life more than anything else you're sounding a little like Stellan Skarsgård now you can't believe (laughs) the inconsistencies (laughs) of her of her story here (laughs) which also makes me wonder if Maybe she thought that she wanted to have a kid with Shia. Like, I can see that. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't think the second one was intentional. I don't know. Well, she said something about when she gave birth, she demanded the C-section because she didn't want to, like, mess right. up herself. Basically, down muck there. up the pipes, yeah. <laughs> right, like, she's totally selfish about all that kind of sure. stuff. So, like, yeah. To me, I bet it was something more like, okay, if I have this kid, he'll stay with me and we'll be secure and I can figure out if I love him and all that, you know, whatever. I can figure out my next step, but at least I'll have security. Because, like, when they're married, that's when she has the threesome with the two guys that she can't even, like, they're these guys on the street corner who don't even speak English, and she has, like, this rando stranger facilitate, like, a third-party meetup at some hotel room for the DP action. And it's just, like, that's what she does while she's married to Shia? Oh, man. (laughs) And I I don't necessarily get the impression that Shia's out there really screwing around 
You know, no. I mean, he could be, but, like, it seems like he's actually working hard. And the only thing that we really know about him after he sort of gives her the green light to go, well, we know two things about him. After he gives her the green light to go, or, like, sleep around, he starts mailing her letters addressed from other guys to sort of just see how she reacts. Like, I don't really understand mm-hmm. that. Like, that seemed like a weird mm-hmm. gesture. But the other thing that he did was that after they split up, he gave up his kid, he put the kid in foster home. And I think that's not necessarily, like, she says it's because the kid didn't really fit into his life, but I really think it's, like, it's sort of extrapolating, we don't know, but it's sort of like, I think he wants just no part of Joe anymore, and so seeing this kid around every day, like, it's not the kid's fault, but, like, it just reminds him of, like, how much of a monster the kid's mom is. Yeah, I agree with that, too. I mean, I think by the end of the film, what what he does to her, you know, when he meets her in the alleyway, pretty much justifies the fact that he never wants to see her again, hates her guts, and wishes she was dead. You know, yeah. like, like, all of the above, basically. So, yeah, it's just more, like, there's that one shot of him sitting in the car. Remember that shot of him, like, kind of sitting in the car, it looks like he's about to cry and I'm like is he going to blow his uh-huh. brains out like what is this shot about um, <laughs> it's that contempl- it's like I really get like what am I going to do with the rest of my life it's like I, I can't have like this being around that reminds me of this person right. that I hate like I mean it's no fair to the kid I truly think it's like I'm affording it a better life by not being the one responsible for it because I could see yeah. him just being resentful the entire relationship the story's not about him we don't really know how he lives his life after they break up, we know that he sort of gets into trouble, sort of maybe some money issues or whatever, which is why he re-enters her life at all. But like outside of that, like we're just sort of left to guess and try to figure out what's going on. Yeah, how how long do you think it is till she winds up on his doorstep to collect the debt or stuff? Because like I don't I don't think it's too long because they sort of seem to split up. I'm guessing maybe a couple years of doing sort of different stuff, and then it seems like a couple years maybe into her as a debt collector, so maybe five years? Okay, I was thinking maybe even like a decade, because it seemed like the debt collecting stuff is some of the shortest, it's one of the shorter sequences, I feel, like all around, and it kind of comes out of nowhere, but it also seems like that's what she's done the longest in a weird way. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Willem Dafoe's like, wow, you've really built yourself an empire. And I'm like, she has? Like, we've seen her intimidate two guys. Well, also the same thing is that, you know, she's doing it for a while, and then she, that girl that eventually sleeps with Shia, mm-hmm. or not Shia, she sleeps with Jerome, I'm sorry, because it's not Shia. You know, she sort of, like, recruits her when she's 15, and then we see the girl's 16th birthday, and then they say when she was 18, she moved in, and then, you know, from there, they sort of fall in love. You know, like it's the girl part alone is at least three or four years, if not longer. So mm. it might be a decade. I don't know. But mm. you can tell that, like, everything that Jerome does in that alley in terms of having sex with a girl and, like, beating up Joe, it's, like, decades of, like, pent-up rage and aggression and, like you ruined my life and this is just like I know this isn't right but like there's nothing else I can do like this I'm just I need to get all this out of my system in a weird way when this movie opened I thought she was like that because she wanted to be like that was her thing like we would come to find out she liked sort of like I mean we just recorded that episode for Zack Attack the Paperboy, and in that right. McConaughey gets into some crazy kinky sexy shit too you know so I almost was like had that on my mind like is this what she is into but by the end of the movie it's perfectly clear that no, I don't think she derived any pleasure from getting the crap kicked out of her. Yes, it is It is totally unforgivable and, and terrible what he does to her, but I almost feel like the more insulting thing, like the bigger statement is when he has sex with the other girl, you know, because he does it exactly the way he yep. took her virginity. They just And he's just staring at her the whole time. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that to me was almost like more crazy than 
than the other thing. <laughs> but it's all bad. It's not. I'm not saying like it's any good. <laughs> no, it's it's all bad. I agree with that. That's pretty much Nymphomaniac. I don't have any more notes. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I mean, there's so much we could talk about, and spoiler alert, we will for something we're doing in the future about the movie as a movie. But in terms of the Shia role in the Jerome character, I think we did a pretty good justice. Anything else in your notes about him? or the role that you wanted to mention before we wrapped up? No, not necessarily. The only thing I think would be kind of interesting is to just kind of cut all the Shia scenes together back to back and watch that and see what the effect is and, you know, how that plays out. I think that would kind of be interesting. Like, if you don't want to suffer through this whole film, and, and I kind of, like, now that we're through it, I think it's, like, right, I could say it's something to suffer through. You know, I think Von Trier would be proud that I suffered through this movie. Sure. So, like, if you don't want to suffer through it, uh, maybe just watch the Shia scenes and you know, extrapolate <laughs> from that what you will. Yeah, you could do that. That's it, it would probably be between like an hour and an hour and a half. So it's sort of like a normal movie length. There you go. Maybe Jerome. a little bit shorter. Jerome and Joe. <laughs> Jerome and Joe. So yeah, so for all things Shia, all things all his movies, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. Find all the other podcasts that we're doing. You know, we're putting out one a day until this is done. You can see our other podcasts, Cage Club, Keanu Club, Zack Attack, Monkey Club, Now and Again. I mean, this is a, a groaning <laughs> empire. I'm not going to be able to remember all these. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's another one by the time, between the time that we record this and launches. There might be something else new. Who knows? Uh, but all sorts of stuff, all sorts of free podcast entertainment at cageclub.me and facebook.com slash cageclub. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on All His Movies. I'm-